Fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. Brought to you by IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. This edition of Radio Sustain is for Thursday, September 25th, 2008. I am Allison Page in Minneapolis. Trade Organization was launched in 1995 to enforce global trade rules and to serve as a forum for continuing negotiations. But the direction of those negotiations have been highly contentious. In 2001, WTO members launched a new round of negotiations called the Doha Round. It was designed to help spur economic development in poor countries. This summer, the Doha negotiations fell apart when member countries could not reach agreement. The Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, IATP, has been at every WTO ministerial meeting and has an office in Geneva, Switzerland, devoted to monitoring WTO negotiations. To find out more about the history of WTO negotiations, what happened this summer, and where discussions about trade and development need to go, we sat down with IATP staff Sophia Murphy, Anne-Laure Constantine, and Alexandra Spieldock. The history of the WTO has been full of fighting and not much progress. Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy Senior Advisor Sophia Murphy has been following the WTO since the beginning. We talked with her from her office in Adelaide, Australia about the WTO's difficult history. We had a deep division in Seattle and a lot of that had to do with agriculture and food security. How were negotiators able to overcome those disagreements in 2001 to launch a whole new round in Doha, Qatar? Well, I think it was a particular moment in history coming a few months after the attack on the towers in New York after 9-11. And also, I don't remember the exact history, but at the time or soon after the first attack on Afghanistan, the beginning of the bombing of the Taliban. And so at the moment, in geopolitical terms, is very tense. And the meeting itself was quiet. There were hardly any NGOs who came. There weren't very many businesses who came either. Maybe more NGOs than business reps for once at a WTO ministerial. And there was a, a mix of things going on as well. First of all, the NGOs managed to keep what the so-called Singapore issues, these new issues of investment and competition, were kept off the agenda. So we've <laughs> gone into that. Secondly, there was a very big focus on the intellectual property rights discussion around generic medicines, an agreement which in the end has you know, been of questionable value, but still a lot of, a huge amount of political effort and energy went into getting WTO members to agree that there were times when intellectual property was going to be less important, especially when human life was at stake. So there was a big focus on this so-called uh, TRIPS declaration, the Doha Declaration. And I think that this combination of, of very few NGOs, a lot of governments who wanted new negotiations, they were also promised that those negotiations would focus on development and that the developing countries themselves had plenty they wanted to discuss. They just weren't so wedded to a new round of pushing the boundaries further. They wanted a, a kind of review and regroup round that would help them make better sense of Uruguay than they had done at the first go at it, if you like. They wanted to review some of their tariffs. They wanted to fix some problems. They wanted some more what we've come to call policy space in order to accommodate development. 
priorities within this framework. And so they hoped in Doha still that that might be the flavor of this Doha round. In looking backwards, what lessons should we be taking from the WTO's history over the last 12 to 13 years? Well, I think for me, emerging from this last week of government failure to agree, as well as the history, is that the WTO has to abandon this insistence that its purpose in being is to reduce tariffs. It's such a tiny and often counterproductive aspect of trade to focus on. And, and there's a whole philosophy there among many members and a lot of the staff, I suspect, as well, that says unless we reduce tariffs, we're not advancing the cause. And I think that the moment now is to be serious about reflection. What have we learned? How our economy is really working? How do we become an institution with members as varied as Mali and Brazil, let alone the United States? And I think there's a lot of trust building that needs to happen to persuade developing countries that they have a place there because the South is now big enough to stop much happening, but they're not going to be very interested to make things happen until they see some um, interest in the outcome, and they haven't been given that. And I would say Bush's version of multilateralism and trade negotiating is among the worst we've seen from the United States, that blaming everybody else for not participating, picking the issue they want, and in the end they refused to shape their agriculture according to those rules and yet expect everyone else to. And, and although there's much wrong with U.S. agriculture, I wouldn't want them to shape it according to WTO rules any more than has been done. But there's simply no possibility for a multilateral agreement to come out when countries don't acknowledge what they're doing and acknowledge all the politics of what has to happen. I think the WTO could do something useful in the area of agriculture, just like it does useful things in many other areas of the economy. But it can't do it if it insists that the only way forward is to liberalize the whole thing. This July, the WTO talks broke down again after an urgent minister-level meeting in Geneva failed to reach agreement. The issues behind the breakdown were familiar. We talked with Anne Lore Constantine of the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy's Geneva office to find out what was behind the latest collapse in negotiations. So it's now been a month since the Doha talks broke off at the end of July. What are people saying in Geneva? What's the sense among negotiators about the state of the Doha talks? There is at the moment a lot of uncertainty about where the process is going to go. Throughout the month of August, there have been attempts particularly coming from Brazil to try to have a very quick resumption of the talks at a very high level to try to build on what had been achieved during the ministerial in July. But some other countries were not as enthusiastic, especially, I think, India and to a lesser extent the U.S. And so now the process has come back here in Geneva. There has been a meeting of senior officials here this week. 
and that was convened by the United States. And as of next week, the multilateral process will take over under the responsibility of the agricultural chairman. But it is very unclear what will happen out of it because although some countries may have the feeling that they have achieved a lot during the July ministerial and it's worth trying to safeguard some of it, many negotiators feel also very tired of trying and they don't see the political climate now with the U.S. negotiations coming up as the most relevant political climate for a deal to be done now. Going backwards to late July, what were the key issues there that blocked progress in the talks and are they still trying to zero in on those issues in Geneva? So when they came out of the mini-ministerial, most countries portrayed the issue of the special safeguard mechanism as having been the deal breaker. This was especially the line that Director General Lamy took and the U.S. as well. Logically, they decided to start resuming the negotiations with that issue and trying to find an alternative approach to this instrument. But then there are different perspectives among members on whether this is likely to unblock the whole package because as has been said in a report that was issued by the WTO in August, the political dynamic at the end of July was a very specific one with many countries thinking seriously that this was the last chance to close the deal in 2008 and ready to make significant concessions and it's very unlikely that the context is the same now and so it's likely that many countries will come back on some of their long-standing hard lines. I think the perspective here is generally that the Doha round will continue and that they will continue negotiating. No one is really talking about stopping the Doha round or starting in on new bases. While the WTO has had its difficulties, the world continues to face a series of urgent global challenges including rising food and commodity prices, climate change, and a financial crisis. Are global institutions up to the task? To find out, we talk with the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy's Director of Trade and Global Governance, Alexander Spieldock. So Alexander, the WTO talks have collapsed. What is the next step for civil society organizations and countries and people concerned about global hunger and food security? If we put the WTO aside for a little while, where should we turn and where should people be kind of coming together around? 
Well, I think this is an incredible moment for civil society to start thinking collectively about a new vision for governance, a new role for the global institutions in particular to respond to the food and agricultural crisis that we're experiencing today and other crises as well. We have obviously the climate crisis and major problems with development that we're seeing. So now is a time for alternatives building. I think we've spent a long time developing critiques of the WTO and generally with the model, but we can really insert ourselves now in terms of putting forth an alternative vision, alternative policy tools that governments can utilize and to reinforce the multilateral system uh, that we still need. One of the things that IATP has been calling for is a global food convention. We had proposed this years ago uh, in preparation for the 1996 World Food Summit and are bringing this back as a possible way forward that would ensure that trade and investment rules are in fact accountable to international human rights and environmental norms, thinking about food and agriculture as part of the UN system, as part of a multi-stakeholder vision, not just a set of rules that are defined by the WTO, and this could be a way forward. The UN has also identified the food crisis and the climate crisis, and, and I think this is very promising, is launch an interagency task force to deal with the food crisis. This includes the WTO, the World Bank, the IMF, and some of the key UN agencies. Unfortunately, it doesn't include civil society, it doesn't include farmers' voices, and while there are some very positive recommendations to invest in agriculture, there is still this bigger picture of more trade liberalization, more trade facilitation to expand agricultural markets. And this is what's been so detrimental to date. And so clearly this initiative in its current structure is flawed and we need something much more creative and, and useful. So the U.S. is a major player, obviously in the global community. There's going to be a new president coming in next year. What kind of things should the U.S. be doing to be a more constructive participant in the global community? I think there are a variety of things the U.S. government can do. One is to re-engage with the international community where we've really pulled back and have sort of done it alone on our own and forgotten about multilateral processes, etc. We need to sign some of the key international treaties or ratify them. For example, the Kyoto Treaty, the Cartagena Protocol on Biosafety, International Covenant on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, which includes the right to food. Ratifying these would be a, an important signal to the rest of the world that that we actually care about our global food system and about the climate and that we're committed to making the, the proper changes so as to be able to address these crises. Another way forward for the U.S. is to actually increase its bilateral aid to developing countries and we have pulled back from our aid commitments and now it's time to increase them. Again, thinking about aid for development for developing countries such as those within Africa. We also need to reform our food aid programs, which have been largely comprised of dumping overproduced grains onto other markets and undermining local economies and local food production. So switching to cash-based aid would make a huge difference in terms of our role in the international community and in our ability to have a positive impact on the food crisis today. Great. Thanks very much. Radius Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Find us on the web at iatp.org. 
Radio Sustain is produced by Ben Lilliston. Our engineer is Patrick Sai. Today's music was Deo by Tall Fiddler, Apache by the Incredible Bongo Band, Madness by Prince Buster, and Chameleon by Herbie Hancock. I am Allison Page. Thanks for listening. Thank you.